Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to crank it up. Start your For the next hour, the airwaves belong to you. Sit down, strap in, and let's head to WGR's Fast Track. All right, take a nice big deep breath, buddy. With your host. Let's go out there and have a good day, all right, bud? Dave Buchanan. Good morning, race fans. 11.05 here on WGR Sports Radio 550. And welcome to the post-Daytona 500 edition of WGR's Fast Track. I'm Dave Buchanan. Thanks for listening. As always, great show lined up for you on this Sunday morning here in Western New York. If the Sabres do make a trade while we're on the air, don't worry. We'll jump in and keep you updated if anything should happen. And I'm assuming if the Sabres make a deal sometime before 12 noon that we will stay live and local here on WGR. So don't go anywhere. Stick with us for the next hour and we will keep you up to date on the latest breaking hockey news as it becomes available. But we're recapping the Daytona 500 here on Fast Track this very fine morning. Coming up at 11.35 on the program, bottom of the hour, Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com covering the Daytona 500 for SB Nation was there last week. He will join us to give us his thoughts on the race. But this whole first segment's wide open for you race fans for your thoughts on the Daytona 500 from last Sunday. Uh, phone lines are open, 803-0551, 888-552-550. You can also send your tweets to at FastTrack550. And uh, Facebook.com slash WGR Fast Track are the ways to get in touch with us this morning. As Austin Dillon driving to victory in the Great American Race, his first victory in the Daytona 500, his second career Cup Series win, the third Daytona 500 victory for his grandfather, Richard Childress, going along with Kevin Harvick, and of course, Dale Earnhardt's win in 1998. And what a, what a race. Let's, let's start there. What a race. First of all, a lot more entertaining race than I expected. I know I sat here last Sunday and I was real worried with how the race was going to play out because of the aerodynamics of these cars and the ride height, the no ride height rules and every other everything else involved in the aerodynamic package. But it was a lot more interesting race. At least for the first the first half of the race was was much more exciting than I expected. It did get a little single file there during the first half of the last stage where they they already had a bunch of wrecks already. So they were kind of trying to take it easy to get it to the finish. But in the end, we got a crazy finish, too. So I thought it was a much more entertaining race than I expected a week ago when we were sitting here talking about it leading up to the event. Uh, I They raced a lot harder than I expected. We saw a lot more two wide, three wide. Uh, guys were not afraid to get next to each other and, and uh, draft off each other. And we didn't see, actually, uh, a whole lot of wrecks that were caused because of the aerodynamic, the things like we saw in the uh, duels on Thursday. Uh, we didn't see a whole lot of that in Sunday, so either, the I don't know if teams made fixes or if the guys just drove smarter or what, I don't know, but uh, we didn't see as much of that with uh, where the guy could just pull the air off the back of the car in front of him and, and it spun that guy out. We didn't seem to see a whole lot of that last Sunday. So it, all in all, much more entertaining race. I enjoyed it. The, the finish we'll get to in a moment. Um 
but uh, definitely uh, it was a pretty good, it was a good Daytona 500 uh, just from a, a watching standpoint and uh, from start to finish I thought it was an entertaining race. Um, where was I going there? I just had where <laughs> just lost where I was going. Uh, but, but obviously it was again just oh the okay that, I know where I was going. So and I think part of the reason why. It was a much more entertaining race, and there wasn't as much single-file riding is the stages. I know people hate the stage racing. Um, it doesn't bother me. I almost don't even – I don't even think about it, to be honest. Like I said, I just feel like it's just a part of the race, and uh, it's it's, it's, it's – like I said, it's two, it's two debris cautions we're going to get anyway, so just throw it in there and make it worthwhile and give these guys something to race for in the middle of the race. And that's what it does. And it created some drama in the middle of the race. And I think it made the first half of the race a lot more interesting than it could be because there probably would have been a lot more riding around in single file trains, uh, just going around Daytona had there not been points on the line in those two stages. So thank you, stage racing, whatever you want to call it a gimmick or whatever, I, whatever. It made the race interesting. I'm fine with that. And, uh, I don't have a problem with, with stage racing and it, it you know, what what like I said, it, it makes the race more interesting. So I'm I'm fine with that. So thank you, Stage Racing, for providing us with some entertainment in the first half of the race, and it led to some accidents. I mean, guys are racing hard. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse uh, driving like a driving like a guy that doesn't have a sugar mom anymore. <laughs> That's for sure. With with uh, him and Danica no longer together, he must be uh, out to. to he, he can't rely on her. It's, I don't know what his future plans with her in his mind were, but obviously he knows he's got something to prove now that. Uh, he might not have her to fall back on down the road. Uh, so, you know, he was driving like an idiot. Uh, the, the hit Chase Elliott took in his wreck, man, that was uh, the, the, the impact kind of looked like Dale Earnhardt's crash in 2001. And then the car cartwheeled and everything around or pinwheeled around. Uh, that was a hard hit. But we, we had some wrecks early on. And that's probably why the guys kind of settled it down in the second half or the first half of the, of the final stage of the race. But the finish, of course, all the drama in the finish with Austin Dillon uh, getting into Eric Almarola going down the back straightaway. And I'll tell you what, it, first of all, it created buzz in, in, in the, in the non-traditional NASCAR fan. I was getting texts from Howard Simon and Bulldog's tweeting at me. So I know Bulldog watch, watches NASCAR, but Howard never watches NASCAR. But I'm getting texts from Howard about this. So... Uh, it moved the meter as much as you might not have liked it. It, it obviously sparked people's interest. I was uh, John Gertler was texting me. I was getting texts from people that you don't get texts from about NASCAR. So it moved the Peter pe- uh, meter. People were watching uh, it on Sunday, but yeah, uh, you can call it blocking. Yes, Eric Almarola was blocking, but I it that he, he drove through him. I, I'm sorry. He I know the ten car. The, Elmarola was trying to block Austin Dillon. It's the last lap of the Daytona 500. I get it. But there's a way to do it, and it seemed like the way Austin did it uh, wasn't the right way because it seemed like he just hooked his bumper down the backstretch. Uh, you see those blocking crashes. A lot of those blocking crashes happen in the turns, in the corners, where that, that seems where the, an incident like that happens. And this didn't look like that. This looked like... Uh, Austin Dillon just got a nose in inside the uh, the ten to the inside, and he just turned maybe turned right just slightly and got the ten car around. He had plenty of room to the outside. The outside is the faster way around. Also, why couldn't he have just gone to the outside? But instead, he went to the inside and just just hooked the bumper and dumped him down the back straightaway. And I think a better driver wouldn't have done it like that. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, 
Not a fan of Austin Dillon. I know, uh, yes, he's got this reputation as this the driver with a silver spoon because, yes, he is uh, Richard Childress's grandson. So, yes, he got his he got his rides partially because of that, but he has also, you could say he paid his dues. He's won Truck Series championships. He's won Xfinity Series championships. So, yes, he also worked his way up the ladder on top of where he, who he is because of who he is. So it's So I get it. The kid might have some talent. But I, I just don't think that's how the, you, you go about it, even if it is the last lap of the day, 2,500. I think there's a better way to get around the 10. And I think if he had gone to the outside, he probably would have got him uh, coming off of four, come to the start-finish line. But he pulled to the inside, hooked him, and spun the 10 car out. And heartbreak for El- Eric Almarola. Eric took took the whole thing in stride, I'm sure, off camera, he wasn't too thrilled, but he he was a, he was gracious in defeat in his uh, post race interview. Um, but I just was not a fan of the move by Austin Dillon. Now, part of the problem with it, though, ties in with the television coverage by Fox, and Fox just crapped the bed in the second half of the race. The first half of the race broadcast was fine. I'm a big media guy, big media critic. So this stuff I pay attention to a lot. So Fox was having a decent race broadcast, and then the second half of the race, they were the, the, the things just went. The, the TV broadcast just was just unwatchable. It was terrible. Uh, and it, first of all, it all goes back to two weeks ago when they rolled out the new scoring pylon on the left side of the screen. They rolled it out for the dash two weeks ago, and it was just this big black bar on the left side of your screen that just took up the left side of your screen. And when they the first opening laps of the dash they weren't framing the camera angles right so you were missing stuff and it was just garbage and awful and I'm screaming at my TV about how bad it looks and screaming on Twitter and it it was I couldn't believe that they were doing it I, I know they're trying something different trying to provide it more information but we don't want a fifth of our TV screen taken up by a big black bar and and then you not uh, adjust your camera angles to to accommodate for that. That now they did start to fix that by the end of the dash, or excuse me, by the end of the clash, they had uh, started framing their camera angles better. So it was taking into account that that black bar, and then it got better later in the week as we got to the duels and the truck race. Uh, you know, they made the scoring pylon transparent. They unglued it from the side of the screen so that it there was a, a border around it, so it looked more. Like uh, it looked like a more traditional graphic instead of this just monolith, this big black bar on the side of your screen. It was a floating box there, and you could see through it. So I've I've learned to live with it. But that started my uh, dislike of Fox going into the Daytona 500. It will dislike them more than I already do with you know having the Waltrip brothers still on TV and everything. Uh, but the Daytona 500 broadcast just got garbage by the end. Uh, by the second half. Obviously, commercial breaks up the wazoo. They'd run commercial break, then they'd run two laps, and they'd go back to commercial. And and obviously, something have to do with uh, you know maybe the lack of cautions early in the race. I don't know. I don't know what their log looks like in uh, and and when their commercial breaks are supposed to happen. But then they'd come back, and it'd be a sponsored segment, and they really wouldn't tell you anything and anything you needed to know going on. Just look on Twitter because that's where I actually find stuff out. You didn't they didn't barely told you that Trevor Bain pitted from fourth position there late in the race, but on Twitter we saw it because the, there's people paying ten, paying attention, but there was that Toyota segment and then they had a Coca-Cola sponsor segment and then they had that stupid thing where they 
they get the analyst in one box, and each of them talks about a driver they're cheering for, and that kills five minutes, and that doesn't really tell you anything. And it just went on there late in the race, and it was just, uh, just you didn't know what was going on. And, and then and they do one of those, and then it would be another commercial break, and it just went on and on there late in the race. And it was and, and it was full screen commercials too. You thought they that I I don't know if they did that thing again where they said that there would be no more full screen commercials, and there were full screen commercials. They did that last year. I don't know for that sure if they did that for sure, but full screen commercials and with 14 laps to go it was just very aggravating so you get to the end of the race and they're going down the backstretch and the moment Dylan hooks Almirola on the backstretch they're showing the back the back bumper camera off the 10 car so you see the nose of the three and then the 10 car starts spinning but you never get a good angle of what exactly happened and then they're sticking with the three car going to the finish line which I get but then the race is over, and then they have this long, drawn-out thing. They're showing Richard Childress, and oh my God, the three cars back in victory lane at Daytona. And we're s- sitting there, and you still haven't gotten a replay of what happened. And it seemed like if that had been any other driver winning, if Kyle Busch had done that, we would have seen 20 angles uh, of what happened. And we did not get a replay for the longest time of what happened. And then behind Dylan, you've got Hamlin and Daryl Wallace, Bubba Wallace, banging quarter panels, come to the finish line, and you didn't even see how that turned out either. And you're so focused on the screen, you don't look at the the, the scoring on the side. I wasn't even sure who finished second for the longest time. It was very aggravating, and I think it made the finish of the race even worse because you didn't really know what happened because when it happened, the, it was this stupid back bumper camera, so you couldn't really see how it played out. So we had to wait for the replay, and then the angle we got, you know, didn't make it all that conclusive. And where were all the angles? I think I've only seen the that incident on the backstretch from two different camera angles all week. Uh, every, any other incident, it seems like Fox has like eight, ten camera angles of what happened with a blimp cam, or they had that drone on a tether that got knocked out of the air at one point by a piece of flying debris. I mean, where were all the angles? We've got two whopping angles. They're obsessed with, you know, making a big deal about the three car in Austin, you know, doing his number three burnout in the grass and that stupid face plant thing he does. And I was just aggravated. And then we had to wait forever to hear from Eric Almirola, too. I mean, I saw an interview. Somebody periscoped his some post-race availability outside the, the medical center five minutes before Fox got to him. I mean, just come on. Where... <laughs> that that I think that's what made it even more frustrating and got me even more fired up is... We just couldn't get a good indication of what exactly happened because of the terrible uh, finish to the broadcast by Fox. And, and I guess that, that's what made things more frustrating for me, too, was, was just all that. So that's what had me. I was so fired up at the end of the race. I've, I, I get, Obviously, I've tried. I, I'd, I'd settled down for a few days, but now I've got myself all fired back up about it. But it was just, just oh, it just. I think Fox just made the whole thing worse. Had we... Saw what had happened live at a nor- at a traditional angle, and maybe saw a couple replays. You know, I, I I it wouldn't have been as bad, but all I could tell is it looked like the three drove through the ten <laughs> because that because all we saw was the rear bumper cam, so it made it look even worse than it really was, and uh, just couldn't. And, and it took for long to see more of it, and it wasn't until days later that I saw even a second angle, and I, I still haven't seen a really good angle to see what happened. But yes, the ten was blocking, it, and that's what. You know that's what restrictor plate racing has become, but I still think the three uh, could have gone about it a, a better way. And he he's part of this generation of drivers coming into the sport 
where it, it's almost okay to drive through the guy in front of you to pass for position, especially late in the race. You see it so much in, in, in late model racing down south and these kids in these Legends cars, and it seems like uh, you know respect has, has gone out the window here somewhat uh, because because guys just uh, just use the bumper now to drive. I mean, we saw the exact opposite. Uh, not all kids. I will if you go back and during speed weeks, the K N E series race at New Smyrna, it was uh, Jeff Burton's son and uh, oh, who, oh Gilliland's son, uh, Todd Gilliland and Harrison Burton, and they. They beat and banged on each other, but they didn't spin each other out. I was racing for the win. It was a great finish, and that that's fine. But uh, I, I, but driving through the the leader to take the lead, I think, is still the wrong move. And any short track in the country, you get put to the rear of the field for that exact same move. But it's okay in NASCAR, and I, I get it. The rules don't need to be the same in NASCAR as they are at your local short track. But I don't know. I just not a fan of how the three went about it. Uh, let's go to the phones. Lynn in St. Catharines is on the line. Lynn, good morning. Good morning. I see you're on your uh, diatribe soapbox. Uh, that's what that's what this show is all about. I got I, I, If more people like you call in, then I can get off my soapbox for a couple of minutes. Well, in some regards, I agree with you. I think the better we had better days when ESPN and the National Network used to carry them. Mm-hmm. But I can't agree with your coverage in that I listen to you guys who had MRN radio. That's all I ever get. So I get good race coverage. Uh, you are right there. Yeah, if you listen to the folks on MRN, they uh, paint a better picture. A lot of people do turn down the TV sound and turn up MRN, and maybe I need to do more of that. But I, you still wouldn't have gotten a good replay of what happened because ra- radio doesn't have pictures. But they do, oh, they do do a great job. Good commentators who know what they're talking about. You don't need the screen. I can picture the track. I can picture the corners. I got it all. Yeah. And I've been doing this radio bit now for 20 years, so I think I've kind of got a handle on it. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of what happened? Uh, that's racing. That's racing? Okay. You know what That move reminded me of what Dale Earnhardt Sr. might have pulled. I get it, uh, I, I, and uh, I understand that, but I, I don't think uh, – I don't – I don't think Austin should get be able to hide hide behind the flag of the number three. I, I put it put a number six on that car. Put a number any other number on that car. Then it, it, just because he's driving the three, I don't think that excuses that. And you think Kyle Busch wouldn't have pulled that stunt? Uh, I think Kyle in this stage. I think he no. I I don't think Kyle would have done it the same way. Uh, maybe he he maybe would have done a little bit closer to the finish line, but at that port, part of the racetrack, I think Kyle would have waited a little bit longer. Kyle is Kyle, and if he gets his dander up, he's going to do it. Doesn't matter where it is. If you don't believe me, talk to Eric Thomas sometime. <laughs> Eric's a good guy. When he gets on his his soapbox, I don't know between the two of you. I don't know who can become worse. But I love you both. <laughs> Thanks for calling. My morning, he finishes my night, and in between, life is good. And I'm going to be nasty, but go Bruins, go. <laughs> All right, thanks for the phone call, and thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it is, I guess, I guess, maybe not that's racing, but maybe that's NASCAR. I guess, I guess you could chalk it up to that because that move is allowed in NASCAR, maybe not allowed at your local short track. Maybe you could just chalk it up to that's NASCAR. And uh, I'm not going to you know, drape the number three over Austin Dillon because 
Uh, you know, he's not the second coming of Dale Earnhardt. Um, I get why he uses that car number because his grandfather's car number. I've I, I've I came to terms with that years ago. I was a little upset at first, but I'm fine that he drives the number three. But he's not Dale Earnhardt, you know. Uh, and I hate he wears that stupid cowboy hat <laughs> too. Uh, but again, I think. He could have gone to the outside. If he had done it to him before the start-finish line, maybe it's not so bad. But again, that part of the racetrack, you, you, you don't you don't see the the crashes from blocking happen so much on the back straightaway versus uh, you know in the corners or or in the trial over there. So I just thought uh, he if he was going to pull a move like that where he's going to hook him, he did it too soon. Or he shouldn't have done it all. He should have gone to the outside, and and, and the outside's the faster line anyway. And Again, I, I, it's just uh, that mentality uh, with some drivers in, in racing these days that they think they can just drive through the leader on the last lap and uh, get away with it. But it was an exciting finish. It got us all talking about it. I know uh, you can be, we can be upset about it, but it was, it's good. We're talking about that and not something, uh, you know, we're not talking about penalties or something else going on. We're talking about on-track action, which is always a good thing. Uh, Lynn, thank you for the phone call. We can get more of your phone calls later on in the program, 803-0551-888-550-2550. we get back, we'll talk to Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com. And uh, there is an NASCAR race today, too. They're in Atlanta. I don't know if they're going to go racing today. There is a rain in the Atlanta area. Uh, they've already moved up the schedule. Start time is supposed to start at two o'clock Eastern. Green flag is unofficially or supposed to be about one o six this afternoon now. Um, but there's rain in the Atlanta area. They've already got the uh, the uh, jet dryers. What do they call them? Um, God, why does my mind always go blank when I'm on the air? The uh, they're the oh my gosh, I'll have to come up with the break. The Air Titans. There it is. Uh, those are on the track in Atlanta. They think they might have a window, but there's a big question mark if we'll see racing today in Atlanta. Uh, Kyle Busch is on the pole for today's race. Uh, Ryan Newman on the outside of the front row for today's race at Atlanta, the uh, Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 from the Atlanta Motor Speedway. So uh, if there's any updates from the track, we'll keep you abreast of those as well, too. Plus, again, any breaking Sabres news, we will jump in with that. And if the Sabres do make a move while we're on the air, uh, we'll probably we'll definitely go back to live local uh, Sabres coverage. Uh, I think uh, Joe and uh, Brayton are still hanging about, so they'll jump back in at noon if there's a Sabre move. So don't change the station. We'll keep you updated as we've got more to come here on WGR. Here he comes up the Daytona Super Stretch. Eric Almarola trying to block both lanes, trying to keep Hamlin behind him, trying to keep Austin Dillon behind him. Dillon turns him. Eric Almarola into the wall in turn number three. Austin Dillon to the bottom of the racetrack at the front of the field off of turn number four, but they're lined up side by side behind him. It's Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon leads the pack off turn number four. No one ever thought he would contend for the win, but he's going to do it. He's going to win the 60th running of the Daytona. 500. Austin Dillon scores the victory here today with Daryl Bubble Wallace coming in second, Denny Hamlin third, Joey Logano fourth, and Chris Busher is going to finish in fifth. Unbelievable finish. They were crashing further back. Eric Almarola looked like he may be going to victory lane. That didn't work out, and Austin Dillon is a winner in Daytona. That's how you heard it. Lynn, did you hear that? Mike Bagley said he turned him. That was the picture Mike Bagley painted. Sorry to get back on my soapbox. If you think I'm on a soapbox here on the air, you should see me on Facebook talking about politics, by the way. <laughs> 1133 here on WG. 
WGR Sports Radio 550. Dave Buchanan here on WGR's Fast Track. That's how you heard it, courtesy of the Motor Racing Network. Uh, Mike Bagley, Jeff Striegel, Joe Moore, and I think Kyle Ricky was in there uh, calling the finish of the Daytona 500. Uh, see, he, he turned them. That's, that's exactly what he did. He turned them. He didn't. It wasn't a. They didn't hook bumpers blocking. He just got to the inside and hooked that left rear corner, and around went the ten car. Unfortunately for Eric Almirola. Um, but hey, how about Bubba Wallace? Didn't get a chance to talk about that. Daryl Wallace Jr. finishing second for the King. Uh, Bubba breaking down in tears in his post-race uh, press conference. His mom <laughs> hugging him and stuff. Uh, the King was ecstatic. He was running down pit road to see his driver. Uh, what a great story that was. And Bubba Wallace is my new personal hero because he totally called out Denny Hamlin on national television, which was fantastic. <laughs> Referencing Denny's comment on uh, that's one of the barstool sports stupid things they do, uh, saying that 70% of the drivers were on Adderall. And Bubba referencing that, talking about how they finished uh, thinking that Denny put him in the walls. They came to the checkered flag to finish second and third. Denny says he cut a tire. Uh, we got video uh, outside of the media center of, of those two getting into a, a shouting match as well, too. And now, apparently, uh, Bubba is no longer part of Denny Hamlin's golf league or the uh, the NASCAR 3-on-3 basketball league that, that Denny runs. He's been kicked out of those. So NASCAR turning into an episode of Mean, uh, mean Girls. <laughs> But that that um, that was great that he when he called out the the Adderall comment by Denny Hamlin that was fantastic but awesome for Bubba Wallace uh, two great runs during speed weeks I know Daytona does not a season make when we when they finally go racing Atlanta today you know it it could it's probably going to be totally different because the the this these are the more traditional races the mile and a half tracks so no I'm not expecting. Bubba Walls to be in contention for a championship this season. Maybe he'll get a win, you know, but but it's still a great start. It's still a great feel-good story, and he, he's such a cool kid. And, again, he called out Denny Hamlin's <laughs> with that comment, which uh, it made my day. I was all fired up about the Austin spinning Almirola on the backstretch, but then Bubba calling out Denny Hamlin just uh, – he made it all right, and uh, he won the day for me. So c- congrats to them. Let's go to the hotline and bring in from SBNation.com. One of our favorites here on the program, Jordan Bianchi from SB Nation joining us. Jordan, it's Dave Buchanan here in Buffalo. Good morning. Great to talk to you again, my friend. Good morning, and always a pleasure, Dave. Uh, well, let's get it right out of the way. How did you see things as they played out on the back straightaway on the last lap of the Daytona 500 last Sunday? I thought it was two guys who wanted to win the race, and they were doing anything they could to win the race. And I think that the fact that Eric Almirola had no issue with what Austin Dillon did and Austin Dillon not backing off should make it a lot easier for everyone to accept that, you know, in that situation, Dillon had two choices. He could back off and let Almirola in the line and lose the Daytona 500, or he could stay in the gas and assert himself and probably spin Almirola out. And that's what happened, and I have no issue with it because this is the Daytona 500. You're racing for the win in the biggest race, and along with it, you're also in a, by, you know, indirectly racing for the championship and getting a shot to get in the playoffs. So I think both these guys had to do what they did, and I, and I think it made for entertaining, and it made for a good week for us. It'll give us a lot to talk about. Uh, I, I've been taking the other side of that issue here in my opening segment, Jordan. Um, do you really think that that was the make or, pre- make or break point for Austin had he uh, not gone to the outside or, or laid a, or, or rolled out of the throttle briefly. Do you think he would have? There would have been no other opportunity for him to win the race on that that other half a lap. Comp- you don't think he would have been able to pass him at all? 
It would have been hard. He would have lost his momentum. If you lose your momentum in the draft, mm-hmm. you're going backwards, and they had a half a lap left, it would have been really hard for him to gather that back up and get that push forward. And then it also, if you back off the gas, the guys behind you are usually pounce on you in that situation. It's not impossible for him to rally, but it would have made it really tough in that situation just because he didn't have the push that he had at that moment. Fair enough. I will uh, take your opinion into consideration. Uh, duly noted. <laughs> uh, but all in all, that's all right. That's that's why we call it talk radio. Everybody's got an opinion, and I, I respect it, Jordan. That's okay. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but all in all, but, but this, 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 besides where you stand on the finish, all in all, it was a very entertaining race. Uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of wrecks, uh, not as many as the Xfinity Series race at the end there. But uh, I thought it was a very entertaining Daytona 500. What did you think? I thought the same thing. I thought it was very good. You had a lot of storylines. You had the young versus the old, the veterans versus the rookies kind of materialized a little bit with Chase Elliott and Brad Keselowski and then Austin Dillon winning. Um, I thought it was very entertaining. And the fact that we got a surprise winner was a, was a nice twist. It, it looked like there was going to be, you know, the four drivers, Blaney, Logano, Keselowski, and Carvick were kind of going to run away with it and kind of control everything. And then various things happened, and it opened the door for Austin Dillon. So I was very surprised with how the race unfolded, especially going into the race. There was a lot of concern that there might not be a lot of passing, that guys were going to run yep. single file, that the cars were going to be completely out of control, and no one was going to be able to do anything. And we didn't see that at all. We saw a lot of two, three side. Two, three by three racing throughout the afternoon, and I was I was very pleased with what had transpired. Yeah, indeed, I thought so too. Uh, I thought Ryan Blaney was uh, was an excellent story. He ran so well. We knew the Penske, as you said, the Penske Fords were going to be fast, and Joey had that penalty, so Blaney kind of took the lead. Uh, for the four contingent, and had William Byron maybe not spun out, we might have been talking about him as the winner of the Daytona 500. Absolutely. I mean, he was really strong. He led the most laps in the Daytona 500 since Dale Earnhardt in 1990. That kind of shows you how dominant Ryan Blaney was. Mm-hmm. And without that caution there, he was in really good shape because I think when you're in the leader in these restrictor plate races, it does give you a bit of advantage because you can block and you can kind of cut everybody off a little bit and prevent people from blocking you, or at least in a better position to do so. And he was really well situated. And if he didn't have that late restart, I think Ryan Blaney would have won that race. We know NASCAR would have been happy because Blaney's one of the, one of the young drivers that they're really pushing for. Forward, but it didn't work out for him. And I thought he handled the defeat well, too. I mean, you know, a lot of guys in that situation um, are quite angry and not willing to talk and, and to be out front about it. That wasn't the case with Blaney, so kudos to him. It did kind of fall into the, the script, though, of, of every restrictor plate race, or most restrictor plate races, is a lot of the big names get taken out in wrecks, and when we get down to the finish, it's a couple of guys you might not have expected, although Danny was up there, but you didn't expect the 3 and the 43 to be battling for the win. Uh, excuse me, the three and the ten battling for the win, and, and, and you had you know your the the small teams that wind up there at, in the top ten. Like, how do they get there? You know, the Chris Bushers, the Michael McDowells. It's just it seemed like it followed that restrictor plate race script by the end of it. Well, yeah, it did. I mean, these races they tend to be kind of you know you have to get to the finish line, and it sounds cliche, but that is absolutely the case. You go back to Talladega last year when only ten or eleven cars finished on the lead lap, only ten cars finished on the lead lap Sunday in the Daytona five hundred. These races are really just, they, they've turned into a lot of respects crash fest. And mm. you can avoid getting swept into these accidents, and you can just be around and have your car in good shape. You have a really good chance to leave with a good finish. And I think that's why you see a lot of you know, drivers we don't, we're not used to seeing run up front as they take the strategy of, you know, we're going to kind of lay back, we're going to pick and choose our spots here, and then towards the latter part of the race, we're going to move forward as everyone else crashes out. So it does open it up, and it's... 
these winners too. So it, it does make for an interesting time, and, it, and it's an opportunity for these teams too, whether it's Austin Dillon or Darrell Wallace Jr., to have their opportunity to shine. And, and because you can get in the playoffs with a win now, it really takes on added importance for these guys to capitalize when these opportunities come around. Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com. Jordan, with that all being said, was there anything you took away from Speed Weeks that would be any kind of an indicator for this early part of the season, like someone you should watch, someone that you may think that might perform better than expected, at least early on in the season? Was there any storyline out of Daytona that could carry on into Atlanta today and through the early part of the season? I think on the track, I think it's really hard to judge anything that happened to Daytona and say, you know what, this is going to be, this is going to carry over an indicative of what we're going to see the rest of the season. I will say this though, Darrell Wallace Jr. finishing second was a great story. Mm-hmm. More than that, if you talk to the people within Richard Petty Motorsports and Richard Petty himself, he has rejuvenated that team. That team is so excited. They have such energy and passion coming to the racetrack now. They've got a driver they believe in. Now that may not manifest itself into results, but it really does feel like they're building something special there. And down the road, when they can get the pieces in place. They, they get over this switch from Ford to Chevrolet and this new alliance with Richard Chiller's Racing. They can kind of get a hold of that a little bit better. It does feel like they're kind of building something, and they have down the road, not this year maybe, but next year, they, this could be the start of something special. And if you look back last year, the four races that Darrell Wallace Jr. filled in, and then that 43 car, he got better each race. And mm-hmm. Last race in that car, he finished 11th at Kentucky Speedway. It does look like that is the right driver for that team, and as they are so energized and enthused by what he brings to the table. I think that's going to be good for them. Jordan, you were there at Speed Weeks. What, is, what was the vibe you took away with everything going on, with it being the, the first race of the post-Dale Jr. era, uh, the, all the, uh, the, the beginnings and ends, I guess, you know, Danica Patrick leaving the sport, Nat Kenseth not being there, this new face of rookies, uh, the future of the sport, you know, the Monster Energy, Monster Energy deal that's kind of hanging out there. What was the overall vibe you took away on, on what the future of this sport is and maybe with insiders you talked to last week? Well, I think there's two things. One, this is very much a transition year. You know, with all the big names that have retired in the recent years, and especially going into this year with Earnhardt, Kenseth, and Patrick no longer around, and, you know, NASCAR may or may not need a new entitlement sponsor. It depends on what day of the week it is. That kind of shifts on a daily basis. Um, this is going to be, this is a kind of a changing of the guard, so to speak. And on that note as well, the other big thing is the, the young drivers asserting themselves. We, we've talked a lot about the Chase Elliott's and the Ryan Blaney's and the Darrell Wallace Juniors these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They're starting to speak up. They're starting to be heard. You know, we saw that in the offseason a little bit when Ryan Blaney pushed back against Kyle Bush. And that's not something that Blaney does. He's not an outspoken guy. He kind of yeah. likes to lay low. He likes to have fun, but he doesn't really tend to make waves. But when Kyle said something he didn't like, he pushed back against that. And you're starting to see these young guys, though, empower themselves a little bit and feel like, you know what, hey, we are the future of this sport, and we're going to start saying things that matter to us, and we're going to start you know, trying to speak out on issues that really we think are important. And I think that's what you're going to see. And I think it's going to manifest itself on the track, is that a lot of these veterans now know that these young kids are coming, and these young kids are not afraid to make a name for themselves, and they know that their opportunity is here. And I think kind of what we saw last year with Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott at Martinsville and at Phoenix, I think you're going to see more of that this year on the track. How about the the Chevrolets, Jordan? Uh, with the new Camaro this year, they you know they've been getting their tails kicked by the Toyotas the last couple of seasons. Do they? Do, what watching them perform at Speed Weeks and maybe even a little bit what we've seen at Atlanta in practice and qualifying? Do you think any of the Chevrolet teams can give the Toyotas a run for the money yet this year? 
I, I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to be much better than they were last year. Hendrick was really out to lunch last year. I know Chase Elliott almost made the Final Four, but really that organization was down. Uh, Kyle Larson was very good as well. And it makes me think that if, you can give, if Chevy can give these guys a better car, you have to think Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Jimmy Johnson are going to be able to go out there and do more than what they did last year and perform at a higher level. And there's certainly optimism that they're going to be able to. The tests so far at Vegas and Texas have been strong. They, they like the speed they have in the car. It's designed very similarly to the, to the Toyota Camry, especially in the front end. So uh, they are confident that when they go to these intermediate tracks, like Atlanta, like Vegas, mm-hmm. um, like Texas, they're going to be competitive, and they have an opportunity to, to run with the Toyotas and, and outperform them. And if they can just get improved slightly, I think the fact that Chase and Kyle had good years last year, even with a car that wasn't 100% where it needed to be, I think that bodes well for them going forward. Jordan, what do you got up at SBNation.com, and what can race fans uh, look forward to here in the coming days from you over at SB Nation? Well, we got a story up you know, about Austin Dillon, about Richard Childers Racing, kind of the future of that team, and, and whether they can continue this good momentum off of the Daytona 500. Also have a piece up about Richard Petty Motorsports and the different things that they've undertaken this offseason as they look to get better. And then, of course, we'll have post-race coverage from Atlanta whenever that race is running, either today or tomorrow. You're in Minneapolis. Are you a big hockey guy? I am a big hockey guy, and I, uh, you have to be up here in Minneapolis. You don't have a choice. You're into <laughs> it. Well, uh, one of our former colleagues, uh, Matthew Collar, now works for uh, one of the ESPN stations up your way. So if you ever run into him, he's a pretty good guy. Uh, Jordan, thank you for the time. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, Jordan underscore Bianchi. Uh, Jordan, thanks. We'll uh, talk again soon. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks. All right. Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com. Speaking of hockey, there is a, a trade not involving the Sabres, but it is official straight from the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have acquired Thomas Plakanich and Kyle Bond from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for, and I apologize if I'm butchering this, Reinat Valiev. Kirby Reichel and Toronto's second-round pick in this year's draft. So that's a pretty big deal. Two divi- the two biggest rivals in the division, uh, trading players with uh, Poklanich going over to the Maple Leafs. So uh, that's the big deal of the moment. Sabres not have yet made any deals yet today. Uh, Rick Nash was moved to the Boston Bruins this morning. If the Sabres do make a move, we will break in with live coverage, whether it's after I'm off the air or later today. Uh, Of course, the Sabres are on at 5 o'clock this afternoon, so Brian and the crew will be here at 4 anyway. But if the Sabres make a move, we'll be here live and local covering it. So stay tuned to the rest of the day, and we'll uh, wrap up Fast Track when we get back here on WGR. Hi, this is Matt Kenseth, driver of the DeWalt Toyota. You're listening to WGR Sports Radio 550. Happy 75th birthday, George Harrison. 11.53 11.53 here on WGR Sports Radio 550. Dave Buchanan wrapping up this edition of WGR's Fast Track. Again, uh, NASCAR in Atlanta this weekend, but the start of the race is going to... We don't know when the start of the race will be, probably because it is raining right now in Atlanta. They have the Air Titans out trying to keep the track dry, but uh, I'm not sure if... I doubt they're going to be able to make the scheduled green flag of just after 1 o'clock, which was actually moved up an hour because of impending rain, but that is a policy that NASCAR implemented recently where they have they can change... They can move up the start time of a race by an hour within 24 hours of the event, and uh, they did that, but I don't think it's going to help because it's already raining there. When they do go green, whether it's later today or tomorrow, and it'll be you know competing with NHL trade deadline coverage, uh, Kyle Busch is on the pole. Ryan Newman sharing row, run with, row one with him. Kevin Harvick, Daniel Suarez in row two. Brad Keselowski, Ricky Stenhouse in row three. Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, Clint Boyer, and Eric Jones rounding out your top ten starters. Eric Almirola, Denny Hamlin, they are in row number six. Uh, Joey Logano rolls off 16th. 
Bubba Wallace starts 19th. Jimmy Johnson, 22nd. Uh, Austin Dillon, your Daytona 500 winners, qualified 25th. Ryan Blaney's back there in 26th. Chase Elliott, the uh, hometown Atlanta boy, rolling off 27th today in the number nine car. And Martin Truex was, had some, uh, he was, he couldn't get through tech inspection before qualifying and did not take time. So he will roll off 35th today, next to last. Only 36 cars in the field for today's race. The first time, I think, since 1996, I believe I saw it was, the last time NASCAR had a cup race that had only 36 starters. And uh, that is just part of the new charter system where, uh, the teams with the charters, they know they're going to get their big paydays, and they know they're in the show, and that's the 36 that showed up. And uh, these uh, field fillers, or whatever you want to call them, they're not starting parkers really anymore, but the field fillers, uh, it's getting hard for them to uh, financially uh, support these races uh, if they don't have a charter. So uh, the 36-car fields will probably become a norm in this sport going forward, unfortunately, instead of the uh, Max 40 or even the old 43-car Max fields we had just a couple of years ago. But that is just uh, the business of the sport these days. So 36 cars will take the green flag at Atlanta. Yesterday was a doubleheader for the Xfinity and Truck Series yesterday, which was kind of cool, I thought, having a doubleheader on the same day. The Xfinity race, not too exciting, though, as Kevin Harvick spanked the field easily, leading 141 of 163 laps and route to the win. The truck race thought it was going to go the same way, but got really interesting at the end. Kyle Busch, who, you know, whenever he runs a truck race, blows everybody's doors off, and he was doing that. Until the late race caution, everybody came down pit road. Uh, Kyle went in for service. They he took off when they dropped the jack, and he got to the end of pit road, and the wheel tire came off the truck. So uh, he had to go back to pit road. He lost the lead, and that handed the race to Brett Moffitt, who was driving for Hattori Racing. Uh, got his second career win and the uh, first for Hattori Racing in the Truck Series. He wound up getting the win over Noah Gragson. Johnny Sauter, Ben Rhodes, Matt Kraft around at the top five, and Stuart Friesen had a great run for a Hallmar Racing. Stuart finishing sixth, the driver out of St. Catharines, uh, the Dirt Modified Ace, uh, another top ten run for Stuart. So he had a great run going at Daytona, was uh, finished second in one of the stages at Daytona, but got caught up in one of those uh, big ones, unfortunately, ended his night early, but he looked pretty good at Daytona uh, a week ago. Uh, NHRA, they are in Phoenix this weekend. No rain out there, so uh, eliminations get started uh, in a couple hours out there. That'll be on uh, Fox Sports 1 later today for the NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series. Thanks for listening. Thanks uh, a couple people tweeting in saying they uh, enjoy me on my soapbox and enjoyed my take on Austin Dillon. So thanks uh, to uh, our, my new followers on Twitter, and thanks for those of you that ch- those of you that uh, chimed in on Twitter this morning, and thanks to Lynn for calling in. We'll be back next week, and uh, we'll have lots more to talk about. So thanks for listening. Again, uh, no Sabres trades yet as of today. But again, if the Sabres do make a deal before Sabres pregame at 4 o'clock, we will jump in with live local coverage. If not, stay tuned. Brian has Sabres pregame at 4. Sabres Bruins coming up at 5 o'clock today. And trade deadline day all day tomorrow here in WGR, one of the best days of the sports year, NHL trade deadline day. And we'll have you covered wall-to-wall all day long with live local coverage including uh, we will be uh, preempting uh, John Murphy tomorrow. So uh, just, yeah, just keep it locked in here to WGR for the next uh, uh, 36 hours or so. We'll talk to you next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better 
Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 